Well, good morning. I just want you to know you impressed your senior pastor this morning by your very presence here. We were not expecting this attendance this morning. Why don't you give yourselves a round of applause? You know, it's not that I judge other churches. I know some churches in between Christmas and New Year's, they uh, do online services only. But there's something special about gathering with God's people. Amen? Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? I hope that you are. You will be by the end, I promise. <laughs> so, tis the season for sharing. If I sound like I turned from a tenor, uh, a tenor to a baritone, it's because my wife gave me, on top of the beautiful Amazon devices for Christmas, a little head cold this morning. And so we're going to push our way through together, okay? But don't let that be a distraction, because uh, I have a lot more of other distractions today, okay? And so how many of you guys have ever lived in an old house? Let me see a raise of hands. I'm talking old. Now, some of you, if you're like 15, you're thinking my house is 30 years old. That's pretty old. No, I'm talking really really old. Is Trisha Craig, is the Craig family up there this morning? You guys know what old houses are like. They renovated one in Pendleton and lived there for several years. Uh, we did a similar thing. So I moved to Fortville, Indiana um, when I was probably seven or eight, and there was this beautiful brick Victorian home, and it was the oldest and still is standing building in Fortville to this day. It was built, guess what, in 1813 which is just a couple years after Bill Creel was born. So that was really, I'm just messing, where's Bill? <laughs> it was a really, really old house. And what comes along with old houses? Lots of stuff. Pastor Joe's finding this out in his beautiful little country farm home. It seemed that we were constantly under renovation. I kid you not, I would wake up and there would be contractors in my room. That seems like not a ministry safe thing, right? But the, the, the contractors would be in the room working from time to time. And so it was just a really old house. And with old houses come really old quirks, right? Like you get to know it's not built up to code. You know, you got to jiggle the thing to get it to open. You know what I'm talking about, right? You just, you get to know your home. So I was in the third grade. It was a school day on a crisp autumn morning, and I was running late to the bus. I was doing something I wasn't supposed to do. I still do this even as an adult. Uh, there was a strict no-pop rule before you came home from school, and I found out a way to kind of break that rule. I would have a secret stash in the pantry room, and every morning I would sneak and get a soda because I didn't drink coffee at the time. I didn't discover coffee until I was in, like, high school. And so, like, it's part of my ritual, right? I got to get my soda pop, but I was running late for the bus, and so I thought, you know, okay, I'm going to drink the soda pop, and then I'm going to bury the evidence, and I'm going to run through the kitchen, I'm going to run through the dining room, I'm going to run through the parlor, and I'm going to go out the front door, and I'm going to run down the sidewalk, and I'm going to make the bus in time. And so that's exactly what I did. I, I went and I had the pop and I drank it. I hid the evidence. They weren't very good investigators anyway, so I just, you know, lift up some trash in the trash can, put that, put the trash back on. It's all good and well. I hear the bus stop in front of my house. And so off I run. I off, 
through the kitchen and then through the dining room and then through the parlor and there was this beautiful front door and then there was a glass door you guys know what I'm talking about not a screen door a glass door and one of the quirks of this old home was that you didn't have to turn the doorknob you could just simply push and it would open y'all with me so I'm going at maximum velocity. I was probably going 120 miles an hour. I should have been an Olympian, okay? I was flying through the dining room and flying through the parlor and out the front door. But instead of pushing on the wooden part, the frame, I pushed on the glass. And suddenly I find myself flying through the glass door and landing on the patio. And after a moment of being dazed and confused, I'm just kind of looking around because I took a pretty hard fall. And I noticed off in the right corner of this patio what looked to be my upper lip. I had cut off my top lip. And so I'm looking around, and by this time, there's blood pulling up everywhere. And I look back, and there's a big Joey-sized hole in the door. And then there's my lip on the patio. And so I'm spewing out blood, right? I'm just looking like this crazy thing that you'd see in a movie. And I did this right in front of a school bus full of elementary school kids. And so they're all just like shrieking in horror that they've just seen this lip come off their friend. Well, my grandma was having a smoke with a neighbor lady across the street. And I was trying to get her attention, but in order to talk, you need your top lip to be attached. And so I'm spewing blood out trying to recoup myself. Grandma, grandma! She just goes, hold on, hold on, I'm almost done, I'm halfway through. And then finally, the neighbor lady's like, Barbara, I think you need to go over there. I think I see blood on the bushes and on the sidewalk and on the door. Something's going on over there. And so she realizes I've injured myself. She runs like RoboCop across the street. I had this red Hoosier jacket on. She strips it off of me and starts to apply pressure, right? And so they take us back into the house. They've called the ambulance. The school bus is gone by now. And then we start to hear sirens. The police in Fortville had been called to the scene, obviously. So there's a policeman who arrives on the scene. Now, Fortville's a small town. One stoplight. Nothing ever goes on there. This police officer looks around and it looks like a mass murder has taken place. There's blood on the bushes, there's blood on the azaleas, there's blood on the statue, the decor, on the patio, and then what looks to be a large animal running through their house because of the evidence of the hole in this glass door. So he immediately goes into CSI mode, right? He's backing up. He's not even, he's going to be brave. He's not looking for any backup. He's just kind of walking around. 
And let me tell you, this beautiful old brick Victorian home had this beautiful, original, 1813 solid oak wood door with one kick. He knocks it off its hinges and it flies into the house. And then he stumbles onto us. I'm here drowning in my own blood because my grandma's just applying this pressure onto me. And that was the first encounter I had with who would one day become my father-in-law. And he's actually in the audience today. Wave, Mike. Hey. So this is what I like to say. Without Mike being on the scene that day, my lip may not have been saved. And I'm thankful that you saved my lip, Mike, because you might not be a grandpa if you hadn't saved my lip. I just want you to know. That was my first encounter with my father-in-law. And I love telling that story just because, you know, who else has cut off their top lip? <laughs> but the title of my message today is Encounter. God wants to encounter you. And he wants you to encounter him. And there's a lot of stories of encounters all throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we could probably make a year-long series out of this idea. But there's one character in particular that I have been studying for the last several months. His name is Jacob. Everybody say Jacob. Now, I want you to get from the beginning that the story of Jacob is our story. There's just something about his life that comes across as more identifiable to you and me. We talk about the great faith of Abraham. We talk about the life of Isaac. Jacob didn't really follow that patriarchal model in the early days of Scripture. And so in just a couple moments, we're going to be in the book of Genesis. If you have your scriptures, we're going to be in chapters 28 and 32 today. But I want you to understand what I mean when I say the story of Jacob is our story. You see, Jacob's life was filled with deception, manipulation, trying to get ahead, and maybe you can even identify with this having just come from Christmas, toxic family relationships. He had a weird codependency with his mom. He had an iffy relationship with his dad at best, and he had this sibling rivalry going on with Esau. And his story is our story. Because there's times where we have worked to get ahead for selfish benefit. There's been times where we've deceived others into making them think that we're something that we're really not. We've all used manipulation tactics. We've had toxic relationships. Amen? But we could sum up the life of Jacob by understanding that he struggled with his will or God's will. 
That's why I really like this story. And for the teens and young adults in this space, I know that I've talked about Jacob a couple times, but I just continue to learn new things about him. And so it was a struggle of his will versus God's will. Uh, if you think of Jacob, you think about him stealing the blessing. And I want you to understand the family blessing was a way to designate the next generation to lead the extended family. This was not to be confused with his birthright. The blessing is different than the birthright. He also stole the birthright from Esau. And the birthright referred to a person's inheritance. And then get this. How sick is this? He has an ailing, blind, dying father. And with his final moments, he uses those toxic relationships. He uses deception. He uses manipulation to get something that wasn't his. Jacob is a very real character with very real struggles. And because of his decisions, he's forced to flee for fear of his life. And so we're going to pick up in Genesis 28. I'm going to let you sit today. You guys made it out in the cold, so I'm going to let you sit. But mostly because it's a longer passage of Scripture. Chapter 28, starting in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever I go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. Everybody say Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread and eat and clothing to wear so that I will come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full 10%. Let's pray. God, focus our hearts and our minds in this place today. 
God, may we learn from these encounters that Jacob experienced with you. May we take note, may we learn lessons, and may we apply it to our lives. Not just because it's a new year. Not just because we have a resolution. But rather, Lord, we are resolute to know you better. Bless our time. And everybody said? Amen. So I want you to know off the top of this, this experience has a significant implication as the Lord actually confirms divine promises to Abraham that will be established through Jacob. The Lord's words echo the divine promises that he made in the generations previous to Jacob, to Abraham and to Isaac, meaning that even though Jacob tricked his father into the blessing and into the birthright, that the Lord has recognized that Jacob is the next iteration of the people that he will walk with. He says this, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. And then he goes on to say, your people will be like dust. It will spread from the north, south, east, and the west. And I will not leave you until I have fulfilled my promise. What is this that we are to learn right here from the very beginning? This was an act of grace, church. A lot of people like to say the Old Testament is filled with truth, and we got to preach Old Testament with truth. But God's grace is even extending as early as Genesis 28 to Jacob. So we go on to verse 12. Some versions state it's a ladder. Others, you may read, say a staircase. But whatever the image in your head is of this ladder or this staircase, the purpose is the same and the purpose is clear. It provides a bridge between heaven and earth, revealing that God is still committed to making the earth his dwelling place. So again, even as early as Genesis, the Lord is moving and working and revealing. And of course, the culmination is Christmas, which we just celebrated. Another note in verse 16, uh, it suggests that Jacob perceived God as being right with him on earth rather than heaven. Many of us conjure up this image in our mind that, that God is in the stars. God is far off. God is removed from our lives. And I have a feeling that Jacob felt the same way, but this is why he made that note in verse 16, because he recognized the Lord was actually in his presence. What are we to learn from this today, church? It's very simple. God wants to be intimately involved in every part of our life. There should have been an amen after that. Thank you. God wants to be a part of everything. The good, the bad, 
the ugly. He wants to be intimately involved in all of that. And it's interesting to me, in verse 11 of this chapter, it's painting a picture, but it's also giving us an illustration into the life of Jacob. It said the sun was setting. And this was Jacob's first encounter with God, and it's interesting to me that it would say the sun is setting. Because of the way that Jacob chose to react to this encounter he had with God in this dream at this place called Bethel, he descended into a 20-year period of not physical darkness, but spiritual darkness. He consequently spent 20 years grabbing for earthly things, things that he think would fulfill him, that would bring him peace, that would bring him wholeness, that would bring him love, that would bring him satisfaction, that would bring him joy. He would go on to try to take one of Laban's daughters as his own, and he got a two-for-one special. And then a little later on, he manipulated his father-in-law, stole some of his sheep and cattle, and became a very wealthy man. The sun was setting on Jacob in this moment. And it's marked by this encounter with God at Bethel. 20 years of wandering. And you know, Jacob may have thought in the moments where he thought he was finding seeming success, marriage, wealth, status, that it was the Lord's blessing upon him. But prosperity in this life does not equate to God's blessing. These acts did not reflect a man who desired to have God involved in every part of his life. Amen? And we now, as Christians here in Anderson in 2023, that for the one who chooses God's way over their own, the Lord's blessing is actually being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Being shaped and molded and refined and conformed more to the image of Jesus. Now, Jesus wasn't available in the same way that he is today, but we'll get to that in a second. But regardless of that, this wasn't anything that Jacob was interested in. Jacob didn't care. Jacob was focused on the here and the now and the status and getting ahead and making sure more than anything that he wasn't killed by his brother because he had robbed his brother of everything. And so the result of this first encounter is a conditional agreement. Everybody say that. Conditional agreement. Now, I've been in youth ministry a long time. I have conversations with teenagers who are trying to manipulate their way with their parents, right? Trying to deceive their way into doing something that their parents have not authorized. How many of you guys have ever had the conversations of the if and then? Huh? If you do this for me, Mom, then I will clean my room. 
if you do this for me, husband, then I'll think about going to the game with you. If you do something, then I will do something in return. It's a transactional agreement. And is that healthy relationship? No. That's a bad contract is what that is. That's not healthy. That's not allowing the Lord to be intimately involved in every aspect of your life. And so in verse 20 and 21, Jacob says, If God will be with me, then I shall recognize him as the Lord. And this vow Jacob gives reveals how ambivalent his commitment is concerning the Lord. So although God reveals himself to Jacob at, at Bethel, it's going to require further personal encounter before he fully trusts the Lord. Now stick with me here. That was his first encounter. This was his encounter at Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Everybody say that with me. The house of God. Remember, Jacob's story is our story. Many of us experience an encounter with the God of Bethel. We enter his house, we come in contact with his presence. We even see visions of what life might look like, but we fail to wholeheartedly commit. Jacob's story is our story. Now there's another place, as you're flipping to chapter 32. The place is called Peniel. And Peniel means the face of God. This is a clear call for us to go beyond encountering just the peripheral presence of God into encountering God face to face. Let me explain. So fast forward 20 years. He's got two wives. He's earned more status. And he is preparing, Jacob is preparing to meet Esau face to face for the first time since all of that family drama went down. And Jacob has matured. Jacob has experienced life. Jacob has a family. And he's left with the terrible feelings of what he had done. And the running and the running and the running and the fleeing and the fleeing and the fleeing. It's about to stop because he's about to come face to face with one of his first or worst fears. And so we're in chapter 32 starting in verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children across the fork of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. 
And then all of a sudden, I added that part. <laughs> a WWE match broke out in the middle of the night. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose, significant. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So reading this passage of scripture, I can't help but to think of Batman. Do we have any Batman fans in here? I love Batman. Always have. He's so much better than Superman. Maybe it's because he grew up without parents like me, but I, you know, I just identify. I'm not rich or famous or beautiful like him, but I got that going for me. No, I think of Batman. I specifically think the best movie in Batman cinematic history is The Dark Knight. So good. So good. And I'm not talking about the, the, the moral uh, fiber of the character I'm about to reference, but there is a line in The Dark Knight that Harvey Dent, the DA, says that I think of every time I read chapter 32 in Genesis. And he says, The night is darkest just before the dawn, and I promise you, the dawn is coming. And Jacob, after 20 years of all the struggles and strifes, the sun has finally started to rise in Jacob's life. But let's back up just a second. He sent his family off. He sent his assets off. He sent his servants off. And the night before this encounter with what he presumed to be an angry brother, he is left alone. No wife to comfort him, no kids to distract him. Just he and he alone. And by proxy, all of his thoughts over the guilt and anguish, having lived a life that was contrary to God's way. Then all of a sudden, Hulk Hogan shows up out of nowhere and hits him with a chair! It just almost abruptly pops out of nowhere, but suddenly Jacob finds himself not alone and is wrestling with this man. And by the end of this, Jacob is convinced that this is God wrestling him. 
And isn't it in the dark moments of our life, church, where we often find the Lord wrestles with us? When we have finally stripped the veneer off of everything, when we have finally come to a point of brokenness, God starts to wrestle with us. And when we wrestle with the Lord, it can permanently change us. Amen? Jacob's hip was put out of joint. His injury highlighted not only the strength of his opponent, but also his own resolve. Tired of going against the Lord, Jacob's determination to be blessed is demonstrated by his reluctance to release his opponent even when his thigh is dislocated. In verse 31, we're coming back to that. The sun rose. Jacob, too, had come into God's life. So there are three things in, in closing that I want you to understand. The first is this encounter with God gave Jacob a new identity. Through all this, Jacob realizes the importance of submitting to, to God. The events of the preceding years had changed Jacob. No longer is this the God of his grandfather and of his father, but now he has a personal encounter. And it's his God, his own God. And this is amazing to me. To, to go from Jacob, the deceiver, the manipulator, the liar, the one who strategically worked his way up the food chain, for a whole new identity no longer would he be marked by the failings of his past and the decisions of yesteryear, but he would be transformed from the inside out, and he would no longer be called Jacob, but he would be called Israel, for whom the nation is named after. That's an extraordinary change in identity. Secondly, this encounter with God changed Jacob's understanding of God. And I referenced this at the beginning. Sometimes we think of God as far off, and we, we know that his presence is with us, but so many times we don't necessarily feel that. If we're being honest, right, church? I mean, we know, but we don't feel. Jacob, through this encounter, had his whole experience changed of who God was in his life. In this passage, we see God as uh, personal and interested in us as individuals. Jacob did not wrestle with an idea or a concept. What did he wrestle with? A man. He wrestled with an actual being, someone with personality and intentionality. And God was not in some far-off distant land, but was right there face-to-face, -face, involved in the real life of Jacob. God is still in the business of engaging and being involved with his creation. And then finally, this encounter with God changed Jacob's understanding of himself. Jacob never gave up that night, giving him a new, kind, and different confidence. 
this confidence was actually now tied to God's promises, not his own will, not his own way. And God had spared Jacob's life for a purpose that went beyond his own. He also came to understand his limits. How many of us, when we wrestle with God, start to come to terms with the reality of our limits? We can't handle everything. We can't accomplish everything. We couldn't, I, I would just change that to say we couldn't do anything without the power and the presence of the Lord. Amen? We understand our limits. And Jacob has finally come to this conclusion. And Jacob left the match with a permanent limp. It would be a daily reminder of his encounter of God's grace and God's superior power. So how does this set us up for Jesus Unleashed? We're in the Old Testament. Jesus isn't even seemingly on the scene yet. Or is he? Let's go back to the encounter in Bethel for just a second. I'm closing here, but in chapter 28, verse 12. And he dreamed... And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. I didn't see Jesus' name in there, did you? No, but this is so cool. Jesus actually gives us clarity in the book of John in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 51. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Everybody say it. Jesus. Before he even realized who Jesus was, Jesus was appearing prophetically in a dream to Jacob. There's grace, there's mercy, there's love, even in the Old Testament. I tell my students all the time, all the Old Testament is doing is pointing towards Jesus in the New Testament. God had a plan all the way back at Genesis on how to reconcile his people. And he did not want to be some far-off, distant God in the celestials. He wanted to be right here dwelling with us. And Jesus, we would come to understand later, is that ladder, is that connecting bridge. And while we as humans throughout the course of history have wanted to get to God, think of the Tower of Babel, God is more interested in making earth his dwelling place. He wants to be close to his people. The Lord wants to be intimately involved in your life. The story of Jacob is our story. And as I invite Pete and Lily to come up here, we're going to close in a song. This is what's been on my mind lately. If we truly want Jesus unleashed over everything, it's all about how we choose to respond with our encounters with him. 
And I just, I have a feeling, because I've been guilty of it in my own life at times, that some of the encounters that God is trying to reach out to us and speak to us and give us clear direction on the way that we should go in our life, we treat him as the God of Bethel. The God where we come into contact, where we interact, where we see clearly, but we choose a conditional agreement. If you do this, this, and this, then I will call you my God. If you do this, this, and this, then I will wholeheartedly submit. Church people are so guilty of this because we can be in the house of God, we can be in Bethel, we can feel good by coming and singing a few songs and hearing a message and dropping something in the tithe, but we've missed the mark if we're not totally surrendered to God. But the neat thing is, God doesn't give up. God is going to chase. He's going to come after you, not with some vindictive mindset, but with the mercy and the grace and the love that many of us have come to know and experience in our lives. Sure, there can be dark periods. Jacob went through 20 years of it. But it wasn't until he encountered the God of Peniel most of us don't get to physically wrestle with God. I have a feeling Travis could hold his own. But most of us would probably walk away losing a limp or having a limp. As Pete starts to play, I just... I want us more than anything to experience... the face of God. And by the way, the, the same God that we read about here all the way at the beginning in Genesis is the same God who wants you to encounter Him today. Pastor Joe has areas that he's identified he's going to be preaching a great series here in the coming weeks. I just wonder, not, not as a New Year's resolution, we're really bad at that. Planet Fitness gets a lot of money in January. But we don't hold through with that commitment. I don't want to make a New Year's resolution. I want us to be resolute as a church. That even if we're in a dark season in our life over something, or our identity, our past, our calling, that when the Lord comes to us and speaks to us and wrestles with us, that we would come to a wholehearted submission. Not just for 2024, but throughout the duration of our lives. And as a result, the testimony of our lives influencing our children and their children. And so here's what I want you to do. I don't want to sing just yet. 
Pete, just play for a couple minutes. And I want our church to take a posture of prayer. It's great that we're all under one roof and one service today. Take a couple minutes just to reflect and maybe pinpoint one area in your life where you need to experience the God of Peniel so that you can unleash Jesus over that area. And then after a couple minutes, when the Spirit tells you guys, just come up and sing. Uh, we didn't open the altars during uh, worship through song this morning. That's because I wanted to open the altars now. These altars are a great place to pray. And it's rare the opportunity that we have a whole church under one roof. I think it's important to pray collectively and corporately. So as the Lord moves, I would just invite you to the altar. Just call out to his name. He wants to be intimately involved in every part of your life. Let me pray for us and then we'll reflect. God, I am so grateful that you didn't stop pursuing Jacob at Bethel. Through his pride, through his issues of control, God, through his vainness, you could have said, I'm, I'm done. He doesn't want to encounter me. God, you chase us. Not with aggression, not with hostility, but out of love. And God, if there are friends in this space who only know you as the God of Bethel this morning, God, I pray that you would wrestle with them in this new year and beyond with whatever it is they're holding on to so that they can encounter the God of Peniel. And God, as it's been on my heart lately, I pray for all the men in this space, the leaders of households and wives and children and grandchildren, And God, I'm convinced that if the men in this space and in our communities would humble themselves and encounter you face to face, that we would see a tremendous outpouring. God, find us in our brokenness, invade our lives, and be intimately involved everywhere. Let there be no shadows in your presence. God, I pray that you would lay something on every person's heart that even in their struggle, they know that they can unleash Jesus in that space. Because he is that ladder that bridges God to us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Be with us now in these sacred moments. It's in your holy name I pray. Amen.
And we're going to go, I want you guys to go back to the bridge here in just a second, and then we'll sing the song one final time from there. First, can we give a round of applause to those who chose to take their next step today? Those who acted in obedience, we need to celebrate those victories as a church. But here's the good news. For those of you who are still a little unsure, a little hesitant, God's not going to quit on you this morning. God's not going to quit on you in 2024. He's going to continue going after you. And that's going to be my prayer for this congregation in this new year. That you would find a point where you come to wrestle with God and encounter Him face to face. So I want to close this service today by having us all stand and I'd like to start at the bridge because I think declaring those truths as a congregation is so important. And then after the song is done, consider yourselves dismissed. Thank you so much for being here today. Let me pray one more time and then we can sing. God, thank you so much for the ways that you move among us. God, thank you for the victories we hear about. And God, the victories that maybe not all of us hear about, maybe in the most private areas of our life, God, you are still moving. You are still transforming. God, as we've said all morning, may you not just be the God of Bethel, but could you, Lord Jesus, invade our space so that we can say that we've encountered the God of Peniel. Be with us as we sing and be with us as we disperse. May your blessing go before us. In your name I pray and everybody said, Amen. You heard your children then. You hear your children now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You answered prayers back.
Can we sing, oh God? Oh God, my God, I 